in church. It's good to see all of you here. Let's share. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you now as we are studying Psalms. We look to you, Lord, for understanding and truth. And I pray and thank you for the Psalms that encourage us throughout each day. We live our lives for you. Lord, I pray that we would truly understand you and know you more so we can see the truth and the truth would set us free. God, I pray for grace for all of us, that we would look to you for grace and truth and understanding and knowledge. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're studying the Psalms. Psalm 32 is probably one of my most favorite Psalms. famous not only for his abilities, but he was famous for the fact that he was the pupil, the last surviving pupil of the great Franz Liszt. Many of you all know who Franz Liszt is. If you don't, you'll know him in a minute. Franz Sauer requested that Folds play for him. And so Folds obliged. And he used some of the most difficult works of Bach and Beethoven and Schumann finished, Von Sauer walked over to him and kissed him on the forehead and said to him, my son, when I was your age, I became a student of Liszt. He kissed me on the forehead after my first lesson saying, take good care of this kiss. It comes from Beethoven. He gave it to me after hearing me play, and I've waited years to pass on this sacred are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. 
we have people that care about us, that love us, that think about us. What a what a an amazing gift of grace that is. Because you all know, Charles Spurgeon so rightly said it, if someone says they don't like you, or they think you're a bad person, don't take offense to that, because you're ten times worse than you think you are. To have someone recognize you, to care about you, to love you, that's what David is talking about in this psalm today. David is talking about a blessing today that we're going to see that God has for all of us. Blessing is the theme of the message, but grace is the underlying gift for the blessing that you and I get to receive. So let's look at the psalm together today, and we're going to see what blessings we have or have been given to us and for us, and how grace plays into that gift that the Lord gives to us. That's the name of this psalm, Psalm 32, Blessed in Grace, or Blessings Inside of Grace. It says this in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let me say that one again. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Think about that for a moment, church. Blessed is the one of grace. What's interesting about this psalm is every word for sin is used right here. Every form of it. Transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit. And God is saying you are blessed when you're covered. When your sins are covered. When you've been forgiven, you are blessed by grace. So here's the thing. Grace is not something the Lord only gives to us. It is something that the Lord Himself is. That's what grace is. A.W. Tozer rightly put it this way, Grace is an attribute of God that is something which God is and which cannot be removed from God and yet have God remain God. It's the very nature of God. Holiness is another word that's the very nature of God. In seminary, we talked about this. Holiness and grace are incomprehensible uniquenesses about who God is. If you take any one of those things away from God, He wouldn't be God. And yet there are people out there that take away from salvation. They preach messages that are lies from the pit of hell. They tell you you have to have other things, like the second birth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What a lie! What a lie! That's not in Scripture at all. In fact, famous pastors in this area write books about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they talk about it, and look at how big our church is. What a lie from the pit of hell. Because it's grace that saves us. Not the second dwelling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why ruin it for people? Why do they do it? Because they're always...
grace in the heart of God. Grace is in the heart of God. It was always there. It's never going to be any more grace than there is right now. Never. Grace from God is the ability to forgive sins, transgressions, iniquities, and deceits. That's what God gives to us. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about perfection, Romans 5.8. It's not about perfection. It's about the fact that God says, I forgive you because I love you and I want you to know me and have a right relationship with me forever. Do you know him? Do you know grace? Because people who are hurt, hurt people. But people who are filled with grace, give grace to others. People who have been forgiven know how to forgive others. Have you experienced grace and forgiveness and love from the one true Heavenly Father? That's my question for us today, church. Because it's not just something God gives to us. It is who God is. Grace is the ability to forgive all that we have done and save us from saves us from ourselves and our intent to destroy our own lives. Let me help you out with something. You might think you're a good person because you go to church. You might think you're a good person because you pray to God. You might even think you're a good person or better than others because you fast. I'm telling you right now, none of us are good. It's talked about in Psalm 14, it's something that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3. There's none, no, not one that is righteous. None of us are good. And yet God says, I love you and I'm willing to send my son to die for you. Do you know him? Are you experiencing that amount of grace in your life? Testament to the New Testament, grace is what permeates the Word of God. See, the red letters are what Jesus said. The black letters are come, are come from the Holy Spirit. They're the inspired Word without error for us to know who God is. He reveals Himself to us to show love to us so that we can know Him more. The Creator of heaven and earth wants you to know that He's every hair on your head. He knows every day of your life and he tells us to teach us to number our days so that we can know him more because many of us don't live for very long. Many of us don't live very long. And the holiday seasons are really rough on us. When we lose someone very important, a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, the holiday season us grace. That's why when I was working at Trader Joe's, I would always say, Merry Christmas to people. They would tell us, 
but don't forget, don't say Merry Christmas. Because that's an offensive to some people. Well, what's offensive? The fact that God loves people? The fact that God sent his son to die for people? No matter what? That he cares about them enough to say, I care about you? You want me to not tell people about that? Well, we're just not a religious company. We don't want to get people mad and offended. And if they're offended by the fact that I care about them, then I don't know what's not going to happen. So how can I love them well in the midst of you telling me I can't say that to them? So I would say, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Because holiday is two words. Holy days. Put together as one. We celebrate these holy days of Jesus Christ. And in about four months, we're going to celebrate the greatest day of our entire lives in the entire world. See, a lot of people will say in Christendom the greatest miracle is Jesus being resurrected from the dead. No, I think the greatest miracle in the whole Bible is the fact that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If he did that one, Jesus is all the rest are amazing as well. Think about the fact that God created us because of his own celebrating. See, with kids, it's celebrating, ooh, what am I going to get under the tree? What toy am I going to get? Did I get everything that I asked for? Did Santa come down the chimney and give me everything I was looking for? Yeah, Santa got stuck in the chimney. He's ours. That's bad. (laughs) But what are we really celebrating? We're celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ because grace entered the world for the world because it is who the Lord is. I'm not saying that grace didn't exist before Christ. I'm saying because God knows that grace is the very attribute of who God is, He is throughout the Old Testament graceful. Everyone from Adam and Eve were saved by grace because it is who the Lord is. It's His very nature. All those in the Old Testament looked forward to the cross of Christ. And all those who are after the cross of Christ are looking back towards it. That's what grace is. In fact, we studied in seminary a thing called Christophanies in the Old Testament. Visions of Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament. Israel wrestled with a man at night. He wrestled with God. I truly believe that was Jesus Christ. There's four men in the furnace in Daniel. I truly believe that was Jesus Christ as the fourth man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But grace came because Jesus Christ came. We can see it. We can feel it. It's very tangible to us. Some kind of say that grace came when Christ ascended into heaven. Yes, that's true. However, grace is celebrated because Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. He was tempted by all things and didn't fall. He loved the unlovable. He cared for the weak and the lost sheep. He helped people to account for their actions. He was murdered because he's the Son of God, the great I Am. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. He defeated death. 
met with and was seen by over 500 people so that there's enough evidence to prove that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did. But you know the amazing thing about Jesus? He's still alive. He's still alive. You can go to China. You can actually go to the grave of Buddha. Bones are still there. You can go to Saudi Arabia. You can go to Mecca. Bones of Muhammad still there. In fact, they have to go there as Muslims, and they have to walk around it. They have to do that. That journey, they have to. Christianity, when I walked into both different, the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and then the Garden Tomb, because we don't really know exactly where it was, I truly believe it was the Garden Tomb because of different aspects of when I was there, but when you're there and you see the tomb is empty, it just draws your heart to God more, and you start to weep. I started weeping because He's alive. Jesus Christ is alive, and then He ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He's preparing a place for us. He says this in John, that He's preparing a place for us in heaven. said that grace is that in which God brings into favor one justly using his favor. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We do. We're sinners. And God died for us. That's an amazing thing. That's a gift. It's a gift. From God. In fact, Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says this For by grace you've been saved through faith. Your trust, your loyalty, you put in the fact that Jesus died on the cross. You put your trust in his work on the cross. You and I didn't do anything. But it's grace by faith that we've been saved. It's not of our own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. Romans 11.29, I didn't put this up there for you. Romans 11.29 says that all God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. God's gift of grace is irrevocable. God's gift of salvation to those who have confessed with their mouth, believed in their heart, and God rose Jesus from the dead will be saved. That's it. Nothing more. You don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't have to know to be saved. You need to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God rose Jesus from the dead and you will be saved according to Paul in Romans 10. But this is where John comes in. John says this, and the Word, the very Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Was he before him? I seem to remember Jesus was born after John the Baptist. In the story, when we see it, we're going to hear about it in our Christmas play. Jesus is in Mary's womb, and John laughs. 
us in the second trimester. What an amazing gift. And yet he talks about it because John knew Jesus was from the beginning. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Think about that moment for a second. Think about that. We have received something that no one has ever given us. Grace upon grace. Favor. Unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. We have been given something by God, which is grace. And that's what David in this psalm is so excited about. Are you excited about it, church? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, he says. No one who has ever, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but Jesus, he has made him known. Grace is Jesus Christ, because this is his way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we must follow him, because there's no other way in this life. Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, your life will change when you do come to know Him. Things will be different. I'm not saying things are going to be easy. I mean, right now, you on social media can make fun of Christianity. I've seen it. You can actually post things, and I've read it right now, that they say, and I'm not going to give you the source, but I'll just leave it at they. They say that Jesus was really transgendered. I want you to do a test for me, church. I want you to go on social media and say Muhammad was transgendered and see what happens. In fact, I want all of you feminists who fight for women's rights to go to Saudi Arabia or any other countries in the Middle East and actually say that men are horrible for making women do certain things. See how well that goes for you. See, what's sad about the world today is you can make fun of Christianity. You can't make fun of or, or downgrade any of the other religions, but Jesus is so full of grace. He lets people sit in his lap and spit in his face. How many times do I sit in the lap of Jesus and spit in his face when I just willfully sin? I'll tell you right now, church, I have to confess, it almost seems like every time I drive in the state of Michigan, or New York, or California, not so much in Texas, but that's because you're so lulled to sleep in Texas, because Texas is gargantuan. We hit Texas, we hit the border of Texas and Arkansas, or you could, you're normal, you say Arkansas. Then we went down the coast through Corpus Christi, but it took us 13 hours to go from Lansing, Michigan, to get to Texas, and then we went to South Padre Island, Texas, and it took us another 13 hours. And I said, I'll never be in the state of Texas again unless I have a, a person who can fly me, because this is ridiculous. But grace is Jesus Christ. Grace is the thing that God gives to us. When we don't listen to that grace, watch what happens. Listen and see what David says. Verse 3, he says this in the psalm. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning, go my groaning, all day long. 
day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. So that's what's important here today, church. Confession is of the utmost importance. There are many examples of confession and sins of the Bible that are needed for repentance. Many of them are individuals, but we also have confessions that are national. We have national confessions to God for problems of sin. So the first individual confessions are important because they get us right with God and they help us move towards repentance. Repentance doesn't mean remorse. Repentance isn't, oh, I just got caught in a sin. I feel bad about it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, repentance is actually turning away from your sin and not doing it anymore. It's doing 180 degrees. It's being willing to stop doing what you're doing and start doing what God is asking you to do. That's what real repentance is. We don't always repent and turn from our ways, but it's the first step to making our lives right with God. In fact, 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, like David just said, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. I actually know people that say, when you become a Christian and you confess your sins, you can actually get to perfection this side of heaven. You can actually be perfect enough to not sin this side of heaven. There's actually a a guy who actually attained perfection. There's a bunch of churches that follow this guy. He actually attained perfection twice, he said, in this world. Twice. His name was John Wesley. this side of heaven. We aren't going to make it. Now we can be justified because we've confessed our sins and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But when we say we haven't sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word's not in us. And now we have certain churches that actually teach things that are very against the Word of God. That's the problem we have in our We have churches that teach things that are against the Word of God, and then we wonder why the world is falling apart. A Gallup poll was done. Did you know that it's less than 5%, 5% that actually believe in the Trinity of God? Of Christians in America today, less than 5% believe in the Trinity of God. That's scary. How many people who go to church and don't even know the Scriptures. I mean, how do you reconcile the Trinity of God when Jesus gets baptized into His ministry and God the Father opens up the heavens and says, This is My Son, with whom I am well pleased. My Son and the Dove, who is the Holy Spirit, comes down and lands on His shoulder. How do you reconcile the Trinity? How do you reconcile the Great Commission where Jesus says, Go and make 
all disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He even talks about it there. And yet, in America today, we have churches that actually don't teach the Trinity. truth of people who preach and that 2% lie, that 2% twist of Scripture. I talked to the boys on Friday when I was teaching them, and we went through this together, and we looked at what Jesus was happening in the desert. He was tempted by Satan, and Satan used Scripture against Jesus. Do you think of the gall of that guy? And Jesus said, no, no, I understand what Scripture is, and he used Scripture back against Satan. That's what we need to be doing as Christians, holding people to account. When they lie, they cheat, and they steal, they're robbing from God the Father, and they're ruining lives. I tell you now, if you find me preaching something other than the Scriptures, hold me to an account, church. This Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who covers sins will not prosper. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You and I will have been given pity on. That's what that word is in Scripture. Mercy is pitied on, compassion for. We will be greeted with love and grace. Well, let me share a story with you. says this, we, we, the nation of Israel, have sinned and committed iniquity, even we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Verse 6, neither we have heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. We need this in America today. We need 
tell you now, I, I really, it, it makes me want to throw up every time I think about it. They're my representatives. I don't really like that they're considered my leaders. However, they're trying to lead us. It makes me sad because they're not doing this at all. They don't really care about me. At least that's what they show me. What's good for thee but not for me is really what I've been seeing lately. I mean, since the early 80s, it has been really just despicable what's going on in our country. We need Christians, true followers of Jesus, to step up and start voting using the Scriptures. I'm not telling you what candidate to vote for. I'm telling you that you need to weigh your candidates against those Scriptures. And if they don't stand up to Scripture and the scrutiny there, then don't vote for them. Don't vote for them. The confession of sins of the nation of Israel is what David is doing, or Daniel is doing here. Daniel confesses and then does something that David in the psalm does. He asks, he calls for supplication. Too many today start here. Too many today, when they pray, are asking for help when they need to start at repentance and confession. And then, Listen to how David says it in verse 6 in today's passage. He says this, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are hiding, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or will not stay for you. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. exactly what I preached last week. It's the same message. David's talking about it again, trusting in the Lord. We need Him. We need His steadfast love because there's too much in this world that we can't handle without Him. You might think you can handle life without God. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to do well at it. It's going to be hard. If you think you can handle your life without God, decision is a decision in and of itself. And I will tell you, it's a sin. To grieve the Holy Spirit is a sin. To not listen to Him is a sin. And it's a still, small voice. So you have to be still. That's why we're fasting this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's to listen to that still, small voice that God has for us so we can sit down and quietly get to know God more. And so if you want to fast with us, that would be great. If you're struggling with something, that would be great. We can confess those sins to God together. We can read the Word, and we 
can pray and ask for thanksgiving and supplications, and then we can turn to God and know that He is with us in the midst of giving up something for ourselves. Give up food. Give up food. For three days, you can survive, I guarantee it. You can. It's going to be a little hard, but you can make it. Give up food. I'm going to give up food for three days. I'm going to ask God for this church and for this nation that He would bless us, that we, and I'm going to confess my sins, and I'm going to ask Him to be there for us. Because there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for our actions. And the only thing I can do, the only consequence I can pray for, for all of us, is in the end of this psalm. That's really what I'm going to do for this church and for this area. I truly am praying for Moline, Door, Wayland. I'm praying for Middleville, Grand Rapids, the state of Michigan. Trust me, yesterday I was excited. I was happy that Michigan beat Purdue. It was wonderful because we're going to have a team representing the Big Ten in the playoffs. I think that's great for the Big Ten and for Michigan. And I hope you guys can do it. I really do. But I'm telling you right now, there are consequences for our actions. You need to be praying for this place, for your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers live in this area, because here's what God says to us in verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, for you know the Lord and His grace, you will rejoice. Can I geek out on you guys for a minute? I told my kids I was going to do this, but I needed to do it because I think it's important. The word rejoice here is in the verb infinitive. Yeah, my wife is now like, ooh. So I, I turned to my wife, <laughs> look at her. She's like, wow, you talk about verbs and infinitives. You know what that means? It's a call to action. When a word is in a verb infinitive, it's a call to action. It's to be something. Rejoices here? Euphorino in Greek. Or where we get the word euphoria. How many of us are in euphoria right now? A, a feeling of, or state of intense excitement and happiness. That's what we get when we confess, repent, and turn to His ways. We get to rejoice because we get grace and it causes us to find euphoria, the euphoria of the Lord himself. Grace is what God is, and rejoicing in the Lord is knowing the justice that's going to be served. It's very nice to know the outcome of something. Right? Am I wrong? Okay, how many of you, if you could know was going to happen in the football playoff right now would watch it if you knew that Michigan was going to win and not be totally happy about it. I know I would. In fact, my father-in-law used to be like, this is what he'd say, he'd say, oh, the University of Kentucky, they're horrible, they're going to lose. And then when they lose, he'd be like, see, I told you. And then when they'd win, he'd be like, wow, that was amazing. Did you see that? The 
University of Kentucky, they played so well. I don't have a Kentucky accent, so I can't do a Vince accent. But it was pretty awesome. But the reality is, if you can know the outcome of something, we can rejoice. We can have euphoria. We know the outcome of this world and the end that God is going to give justice to us. For those of us who follow Him, that causes us to rejoice. You know what causes me to rejoice? Yeah, it's hard. We're going through some tough times. We've had some really rough 21st century years. I mean, think about what you all have gone through right now. Don't think about the 19th or the 20th century. Don't think about any of those. But think about 2001. Do you know what happened? Everything changed. Right? I remember I used to be able to, because my grandfather used to work for the airplanes, United, we could actually go to the gate San Francisco, or uh, Las Vegas. But we can do that now. We can't do that anymore. Everything changed. And we had wars. 20 years we had wars. Then we had division and divisiveness in our politics.
Susie. 